Welcome back for another dynamic, intense, informative episode of No Truths Barred, the Thinking Man's Podcast. And once again, I thank everybody who's been listening so far, anybody who's clicked the like button, anybody who's left a comment, anybody who shared a piece of my content, I deeply, deeply thank you with all humility and all gratefulness. I appreciate you. I appreciate all of the the feedback thus far. And I just want to take this podcast to the next level over the next 12 months by introducing more guests, having a more intensive discourse and presenting subjects and critiques and perspectives that you may not normally get on a daily basis. And that's the whole impetus for No Truths Barred. I've, this is kind of a quotidian thing now where I just want to always let anybody that's a new listener or anybody who's listened to any of the previous episodes, just to let you know that this podcast is really designed to make you think, to make you question, to engage you. And I hope, if anything, you can learn something along the way and that possibly you're also entertained as well. Also, if you are not following me on social media, make sure you do that as soon as possible because over the next few weeks and the coming months, a lot of interesting and cool updates will be provided via social media. So if you want to follow me on either Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, you can follow me at Hoyt, that's H-O-Y-T underscore Kuwaku, K-W-A-K-U underscore Timmons, that's T-I-M-M-O-N-S. Make sure you follow me on all three of those. There'll be a lot of great information, perspectives, videos, etc. coming up in the next few months. And I'm just very excited and enthusiastic about 2020. Um, now, I want to really jump into tonight's subject. I don't want to hold you guys too long, but I'm speaking about something that's very near and dear to my heart. And it's something that I've in- engaged with and I provided a lot of my time as an adult and as a teenager into studying, and that is the discipline of black history, or if you like to say African-American history. If you remember a few weeks ago, I actually did an episode where I had on Professor Saleh Adeyami. I believe that is episode 21. If you have not listened to that particular episode, do yourself a favor and go back and check that episode out. It was a very powerful and informative episode. And I'm actually going to reach back out to the professor to come back and do a follow-up part two episode because there were a lot of different topics that we didn't cover. Uh, Mentioning that, I actually did another episode previous to episode 21, which is episode either 20 or 19, I believe, in which I talked about the methodology in which African-American studies or black studies tend to be engaged in this current epoch that we're living in. And some of my castigations I put out there on that particular episode as well. But I wanted to do tonight's episode, and this is episode 24 of No Truths Barred. I titled this episode Blackout. Blackout as in the sense of what, where do we need to go 
to actually produce tangible results from this information? Do we just sit back as armchair philosophers and just uh, continue to expound all of this rhetoric and very arcane information? Or do we use this information to galvanize change and to galvanize action and to produce things that are going to yield positive results in our community. Because I don't think we have the luxury of just looking at black history as black history and a discipline and cocktail party conversation. I want to take a quote from James Baldwin because when I read this quote earlier, it really hit me deeply. And it also made me think about a quote and a statement, rather, that I heard from the great, late, great professor, Dr. John Henry Clark. But James Baldwin said, I begin to be bugged by the teaching of American history, have been taught without cognizance of my presence. I'm going to repeat that for you again. I begin to be bugged by the teaching of American history had been taught without cognizance of my presence. John Henry Clark met the Cuban historian, Professor Arthur Schoenberg, for whom the Schoenberg Institute is named after in Harlem, New York. And he wanted to know about his history because I believe if you go back and look, it's a film that's called A Great and Mighty Walk that's featuring and centered around Dr. John Henry Clark. And in A Great and Mighty Walk, I believe Wesley Snipes actually produced that particular film. He mentions how when he was working at a library or I believe for some sort of newspaper, he asked, where is the information about black history, about African history? And I believe the librarian or manager replied to John Henry Clark, then a young man, that you come from a people that have no history. And that served as the catalysts to cause this fervor for him to become one of the greatest scholars and historians that you can reference when it comes to African-American history. There have been people like uh, Henry Louis Gates who, who, who questioned Dr. Dr. Clark's credentials and whether or not the university that he received his PhD at was accredited or not. And he received his PhD later in life. And, and, and he was more so self-taught autodidactic when it comes to the discipline of African-American history. But I put both of those quotes out there because often we, we say, well, we're in, or at least we're on the trajectory towards a post-racial society and we have to ask, what's the point of black history now? Why is it important? What are the pros and cons? So without being trite, this is just important. So where does it come from? And I mentioned, uh, I don't think I mentioned them in this podcast so far. But one of the legendary figures, one of the legendary historians that I always reference is uh, Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Dr. Carter G. Woodson, 1915, him and another brother by the name of Jesse E. Moreland, 
They founded the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. Now it's known as ASALA. And I actually went to an ASALA conference, one in D.C., and then we actually had one here in Richmond at the Marriott Hotel. Great conference because you're getting to meet with a lot of different scholars from all over the globe, professors coming in from different universities. And you're getting people that have have a more nuanced view of some of these topics. So people that can give you a very in-depth view of reconstruction, a very in-depth view of uh, Black Wall Street, what have you, just a myriad of things. And so this is the organization, the solid that a lot of professors are a part of now. And I actually thought about joining, but I just really haven't gotten around to it yet. But this is the organization that Carter G. Woodson started. And this is 1915. And he's one of those names. So Carter G. Woodson, Joel Augustus Rogers, W.B. Du Bois should be considered the first sociologist in American history, but he also should be considered a pioneer in black and African studies. You have to read his book, The Souls of Black Folks. You have to read W.E.B. Du Bois, The World in Africa. You have to read W.E.B. Du Bois. I think it's called African Contributions to American Society. I probably messed the name of that particular book up, but I did read it a few years ago. So you have to mention W.E.B. Du Bois. But what, what makes Carter G. Woodson important, the reason why I'm bringing him up, because this is the blackout episode, is that in 1926, he did something fundamental. Now, before I actually mention this, you always hear people complain, why is Black History Month in February? It's the shortest month of the year, and in a way, possibly, it's an insult. Well, Carter G. Woodson... What, they, what he wanted to do because of the lack of study of black studies or African-American studies, he decided to take the second week of February. Now, why is the second week of February key? Because the second week of February uh, encompasses both Abraham Lincoln's birthday and Frederick Douglass's birthday. And that week was uh, known as Black History Week. So it was it was for an entire week. And actually, although we credit and we rightfully should credit Carter G. Woodson as the founder of black studies or African-American studies, we can't really we can we can credit him as the catalyst, as the influence, as the impetus, if you will, for Black Studies and Black History Month, one of, well, excuse me, for one of the, the, the catalysts for Black Studies, but, but the catalyst and the impetus for Black History Month, but that wouldn't come until several decades later. So you get into the, the mid-1960s, and from 1926 all the way up through maybe like the early 60s, mid-60s, there's the problem is that you do have scholarship that's being done both in the U.S., both in the, on, and also in the continent, and also in other parts of the diaspora. And if you don't know what that term diaspora means, it means, a, a and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially a dispersion of people. Like, for example, uh, in 586 BCE, 
721 BCE, the Assyrians conquered northern Israel. 586 BCE or 587 BCE, the the, the Persians uh, uh, conquered southern Israel. And after that point in the Bible, the Bible likes to also use that. They don't use the term the diaspora, but a candidate the Jews were spread out and pushed out into a diaspora, if you will, as well. So it's just a, a term for displaced peoples. But... When you look at the 60s and you look at the, uh, the, the accumulation of various figures within American history, you don't see a symmetry with black figures. So, for example, you will have volumes of books on Alexander Hamilton, Patrick Henry. You have a, a, an, a, a volume of books on George Washington, on... Um, ancient Greece or Herodotus or Aristotle or uh, uh, Hippocrates or or Ilius Caesar, Julius Caesar, if you will. Just a lot of things that were actually non-black or non-African. And also, let me preface, and I should have really said this at the beginning of the podcast. I castigate the notion of race. It's a relatively new notion. And we can actually go back and we can pinpoint seven congru several congru congruent variables and movements which gave birth to the modern construct that we have called race. And just that as it had a beginning, we actually have to challenge the erroneous concept of race because you have to look at people like Carl Linnaeus. You have to look at people like Ewan von Blumenbach. You have to look at people like Louis Agassiz, who taught at Harvard. Uh, there were a myriad of people, and even Thomas Malthus, he didn't necessarily uh, subscribe or actually teach a specific race ideology, but his Malthusian worldview has actually been used to justify certain conditions of black and brown peoples throughout the world, along with Charles Darwin. So you have to you have to be a little bit conscientious of that. But to the point at hand, by the mid 1960s, there was not a lot of informa information provided on the transatlantic slave trade, provided on notable figures in black history, provided on reconstruction or provided in pre-colonial African societies or different struggle movements throughout the diaspora. So as a response to this, a lot of different stu study groups, student union groups on different college campuses throughout the U.S. decided to expand Black History Week to an entire month. This is the start so this is why we celebrate this particular month in February. Now you have to you have to ask the initial presentation of this episode I said was that I want to challenge and and ask what's the resolution? What what are the pragmatic uses? For this sort of information. And I want to point out. I want to point that out. So like I said. What are, what are the pros and cons. Of a black history month. 
So let's start with the pros. We all love good news first. I only feel that it's right to provide my positive perspective. And the caveat here is that once again, this is my perspective. I'm not beyond reproach, but this is my perspective. So the pros, one of the pros for me is that we are provided a wealth of information about our contribution to the American story. That shows us in an objective light. Because positive is subjective and negative is subjective. But in objective light. That's one of the pros. The other pro is that I have to say this for a morale perspective. Because even for someone such as myself... You know, I'm in my early 30s and growing up, you know, you would get the same figures every, you know, every month or so. You would get, uh, you know, Malcolm X, who was a, a, a heavy figure. Matter of fact, uh, I think he's one of the most under, misunderstood figures. I think him and Dr. Martin Luther King are two of the most under, misunderstood figures. You have to look at Malcolm from a macro perspective. He was a guy that you know, brought the the crimes against humanity that law enforcement via state and federal government were committing against African-Americans before the U.N. He also was building relationships with people in Lebanon, Egypt, Nigeria. And a matter of fact, Nigeria is where he got the name Omuwale, which means a child who has come home. And with people like Kwame Nkrumah in Ghana, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, he also pro he also spoke about the nefarious nature of land giveaways to European immigrants, where, where these same ways that land, you know, millions of acres that were parceled, countless African Americans and the descendants of slaves were not allowed access to these lands. You have to talk about the the aspect of Dr. Martin Luther King where he spoke about wealth inequality. He spoke about the, 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 the turpitude of American foreign policy. A lot of these figures are either watered down or they're villainized to take away the humanity and the complexity of each one of them. But those are two names we get a lot. We get the great Benjamin Banneker. And even with him, there's certain things that were omitted I did a podcast a few weeks about a few weeks ago about the Dogon and the Dogon, like I said, brief synopsis, the Dogon, they're a group that inhabit the ben, the Bandiagara cliffs of southwestern Mali. And they're special because they have a history that goes back, some say to 3200 BCE, but at least over the past five to seven hundred years that speak about a white dwarf star, which cannot be seen by the naked eye, called Sirius B, which is 8.7 light years away. Some historians have said that on Benjamin Banneker's maternal side, that his grandfather was actually a descendant of this Dogon tribe. And 
another notable fact about him is that in, in addition to be a scientist, a clockmaker, you know, he uses almanacs to pre almanacs, excuse me, to predict eclipses and uh, conjunction uh, conjunctions of planets, if you will. In addition to that, he argued for the humanity of black people. He argued for for the equality. He actually had correspondence with Thomas Thomas Jefferson about this particular matter, and Thomas Jefferson was eventually very dismissive of Benjamin Banneker, Benjamin Banneker's actually achievements, and of the fact that African Americans were of the same cognitive level and aptitudes as white people. But Thomas Jefferson, he's a he's a complex character, and 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 I don't want to go too deep into Thomas Jefferson. Pause on this episode, so I think that I might save that for another time. And actually, another cool fact while I'm speaking about Benjamin Banneker is that he was in charge of assisting with the layout of Washington D.C. And some historians, when you do the etymology of his surname is actually Banaka. And the Banaka are actually a group of people that inhabit um, modern-day Liberia. So that's a, a, a few cool facts. And after he passed, uh, a lot of his papers and, and, and works were lost. So a lot of the, the, the information that he probably, you know, I'm pretty sure this brother had a wealth of information to share. A lot of it was probably lost, but of course you hear about him. You hear about people like Dr. Lord Quarterman, who, you know, he was awarded a certificate by the U.S. Secretary of War. Um, he actually participated on in creating the atom bomb. Uh, you got Lewis Latimer invented a light bulb with a carbon carbon filament, whereas Thomas Edison was using a paper filament uh, for the light bulb. And actually, he was an associate Thomas Edison. Of course, you hear about Ida B. Wells who was an activist, journalist. Um, she traveled internationally, shedding light on the massive amount of lynchings here in America, and also was one of the founding members of the NAACP. <clears throat> some people do list her, some people don't, but the fact remains, I consider her one of the founders because she was there at its initial inception with the late, great W.E.B. Du Bois. But, the problem with how we study black history, and this is one of the things I'm talking about with the paradigm shifts, is that, and it's a con to me, is that we focus on the great man legacy or the great woman legacy. But the reality is we want to look at the, we need to look at the cultural symbiosis legacy of all of these different people in the world around them. Because nobody grows up in a vacuum. Nobody makes themselves. We're a tapestry of culture. We're a tapestry of socialization. We're a tapestry of various religious, spiritual, and other metaphysical motifs that may appear in our worldview, our spiritual practice. These things make us. We're a vast amalgamation. But a lot of times we want to focus on one individual, the superhero theory of these of these particular people. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't celebrate achievements. That's not to say we should not celebrate groundbreaking innovations. That's not to say we shouldn't 
celebrate black people achieving a certain level, a certain level of monetary preponderance. But what we do in this is that if you look at if you look at the 18th century, during the 18th century, you look at Europe, a lot of German intelligentsia kind of started to become the paragon of research, the paragon of anthropology and how we should look at other non-Anglo civilizations and cultures. And in doing that, a certain template was designed and we haven't deviated from that template. And the template is of finding an individual. Now, another residual effect of Germany, England, France, to a certain extent, to a definitely to a great extent, dominating the narrative and setting the paradigm for historical research is that we all use that same lens of looking at history and we all use that same lens of looking at the world in such a manner. So when we look at our history here, we're looking for quote unquote great individuals where in juxtaposition with their contemporaries at the time. Where am I going with this, you ask? Why is this important? Why is this relevant to Black history or Black History Month, if you're asking? It's relevant because enslaved Black people made up the majority and the masses of Black people. And actually, a lot of Black people stayed in the South. And actually, when you think about the Great Migrations, it's not just North, it's just to urban centers. I'm in Richmond, Virginia. Richmond was an urban center that black people from more rural parts of Virginia would come to. We look down, pardon me guys uh, for that, I got a text, but I think the great man theory and the great man way of finding historical figures we inadvertently separating it. We inadvertently, excuse me, separate the humanity from enslaved human beings that were here. And we neglect the impact that they had on our culture from cuisine to medicine to bathing daily. Believe it or not, that was a practice a lot of Africans brought over here. The way black people worship in church, all of that was influenced by enslaved African people. So I oft, I employ you during this Black History Month, go and research life on plantations. Uh, some books I would recommend is The Slave Community by John Blassingame. Another book I would recommend is Inhumane Bondage, Bondage excuse me, by Brian Davis. Another book I would recommend would be Life Upon These Shores by Henry Louis Gates. Say what you want about him. The man is a brilliant historian. Another book I would recommend is, oh my goodness, the book, it was just on my mind. And now it like just bloop, it went away. It'll come back to me. If it comes back to me, I'll drop it later on in the podcast. But 
I, I want you to take time to augment the significance of all of our contributions, because without the enslaved people that the masses that went faceless, that passed on, that we don't know, that went day in and day out, we wouldn't be here. Frederick Douglass stood on their shoulders. Ida B. Wells stood on their shoulders. Hubert Harrison stood on their shoulders. Marcus Garvey stood on their shoulders. W.B. Du Bois stood on their shoulders. Maggie Walker stood on their shoulders. All of the people that we look up to aren't anything without the tenacity and the cultural network that we got from enslaved Africans here. So I also want to employ that. So I think that could be another potential con for Black History or Black History Month is that we're looking for the great figure. And, and But what we really should do, we should dig into the conditions that produce the way that we live right now. And that's that's one thing I think we often neglect to do during this particular month. So it's the question is, should we continue to relegate black history to one specific month? If you follow me on Twitter, I actually did a tweet recently about black history month. I'm in support of black history month. And you hear some people make these idiotic comments where they say, well, why don't we have a white history month? You have to look at conditions, circumstances, and variables. The fact that people were, I mean, you had laws in Virginia and South Carolina uh, between 1840 and 1890. They were called literacy laws, and they actually forbid African Americans access to reading. And the punishment could be anywhere from being killed to being whipped uh, by a, a white person of, of designated choice. So things were done to inhibit our literacy and us being able to autonomously do our own research. And from that perspective, you have to appreciate the need for a Black History Month or the need for a Black History Week, at least in how it initially started. But I think one of the negatives, and I'm and not even think, but I know one of the negatives of Black History Month is that it treats black history as <clears throat> being on the periphery of American history. And American history is the mainstream history. That says two things to me. What do I get from that? I get your history, your contributions are not American. Remember Dred Scott, the Dred Scott case where do enslaved people belong here? And I'm kind of paraphrasing that case, but you got to think about that. Think about all of these things, you know? And when you think about Black History Month and how it's become compartmentalized away from American history, it makes Black history this thing that we give it 28, 29 days and it dissipates and it never holds the same credence in our society as American history. 
But the truth is, is that American history is not American history without black history. Whether it be the people that built Monticello for Thomas Jefferson, the White House, whether it be the cuisines that we have, the music, the way we celebrate in various religious services. African people, enslaved African people, people that are descendants of people that were taken from anywhere from Angola to the Bight of Biafra to the Windward Coast up to the Senegambian region. Those people that brought indigo, rice cultivation, that provided a leisure class the world has never seen, you know, all of that. You have to think, like, prior to the Civil War, Southern Southern landowners were the richest people on earth, or some of the richest people on earth. It was an economic boom, and not just for America, but for the Dutch, for the English, for the French, for Wall Street. And a lot of times it's a narrative that paints the North in this in, in amazing light. New Jersey had some of the most lynchings out of anywhere in the U.S. Have to think about stuff like that before we go bigging up the North and, and, and praising the North and whatnot. Wall Street was built off of money directly or indirectly off of the trade of enslaved Africans. This is New York. I knew Amsterdam at the time. We have to have a really sophisticated view that the story and the struggle and the contributions of black people are American history. It's painful. It hurts. It reminds us of how far we have to go before we can truly call ourselves a real country that meets the needs of all of its people, of all of its demographics, demographics, of all of its constituents. That's what this month reminds us of. We are nowhere near a post-racial society because of being a post-racial society. We have to acknowledge that racism exists and we don't want to acknowledge that racism exists and we don't want to acknowledge the complicit role that this country has had in the oppression of African-Americans. That's not to say to hate the U.S. That's not to say to hate anyone, but we have to atone and we have to address the problem head on. That's the only way we heal and that's the only way we move forward. And to come to my final point that I want to make about this particular topic, how can this information be used to galvanize something positive? We have to, and certain school systems throughout the U.S., I believe Philadelphia is one of them. I can't think of the other ones, but I think there are like three others. We have to begin to take African-American or black studies. I don't really get caught up on the name. Some people are saying you have no connection to Africa, so you shouldn't call yourself an African-American. That's beside the point. I really don't think it matters because we are descendants of African people and we still do have traits 
of various African cultures that you can see in us to this day. Go to a church, a black church on Sunday morning. So that's 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 minute. It's not really the main point. The main point is that this information, it has to be studied with the same sophistication and discipline yearly that other forms of history are. Now, does that come possibly at the expense of sacrificing Black History Month? Very possible. But I would take having Black History, Black Studies, whether it be the Reconstruction, Jim Crow, Civil Rights Movement, uh, Black Grassroots Organizations, Black Achievements, Black in Science, uh, studying various uh, cultures within the African-American community and the African-American experience, such as the Geechee, the Gullah people, various Maroon com- communities, studying family networks and how these family networks helped us to survive and maintain ourselves and our family units after slavery, just after the wake of slavery. Yearly, study this all year round. That's what I advocate. I think if, if all of us, with the same degree that we can talk about the battle at Waterloo, with the same degree we can talk about George Washington, with the same degree that we can talk about the Continental Congress, with the same degree that we can talk about uh, the formation of the, the League of Nations, or in, later on uh, the United Nations, uh, with the same degree we can talk about anything in history, more often than not uh, European-based, we have to have that same amount of detail and we have to have that same amount of need to discuss black studies and African-American history. From there, I think that will open up the door for discussion. It will open up the door for empathy. It will also provide a point of solidarity, I believe, for black people to come together off of a, off of commonly shared experiences to form some, some sort of uh, body po- politic, if you will, to make demands from the government, because a lot of other groups do that as well. Now, once again, like I said, I don't subscribe to the whole race thing because it's fictive. And the reality is we're a human family. I know people don't want to hear that like that's some kumbaya stuff, but um, it's the truth. And it's a lot of times the race thing, it just, it, 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 it inspires a lot of pseudo intellectual polemical discussions that have no basis in actual science whatsoever. So I want to actually discourage that, but Within a republic where so many different demographics and so many different constituencies can actually go to politicians and get things done at the behests of their particular group, I don't see why people who have a very unique experience, and if we're all an American family, we have to come to the table and we have to look at one of our family members who faced a lot of adversity, a lot of turmoil. One of our family members who 
was a victim of systemic oppression, murder, police profiling, and wealth inequality. And if we love if we love each other, or if the goal is to love each other as an American family, we have to address the the blemish on the American story of slavery and racism primarily towards African Americans. And only then will we begin to heal. And I truly believe uh, an open and thorough teaching of African American history. I'm not saying that it's going to be the sole tool to get us to that particular point, but I do believe that it will at least serve as one of the catalysts to start or to at least galvanize that healing process as a nation, because then we can no longer dwell in ignorance. Uh, Listen, I want to thank you for joining me for episode 24. Good Lord. Episode 24 of No Truths Barred, The Blackout. Please follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hoyt, that's H-O-Y-T underscore Kuwaku, K-W-A-K-U underscore Timmons, that's T-I-M-M-O-N-S. And I thank you so much for listening to another episode of No Truths Barred. And once again, this is episode 24, The Blackout. I love y'all. I'll appreciate the support. Much respect, peace, love, and blessings. Until next time, one love, y'all.